you have your copies of God's Word, um, we're going to obviously continue through the book of Acts here in chapter 22, and we're going to be looking at 30 verses um, this morning and tonight when we dig deeper. Um, middle, how many here would agree middle age stinks? Anyone at all? How many here would say old age stinks more? Anyone at all? Where's my hallelujah corner? Right there. I don't have my glasses on yet. So you're over there. Okay, good. I'm not sure which glasses I'm going to use because my new glasses don't quite focus at this distance, but my bifocals drive me nuts. And I know what you're thinking. Maybe you need trifocals. And what I would say is mind your own business, all right? So if I switch, don't be distracted by that. Picking up in verse 1 of chapter 22. To remind ourselves of the context, because context is king. Paul goes into the temple. He's accused of not following the law while he was following the law. A riot breaks out, and they start to try and beat him to death. Rome pours into the courts and grabs Paul, brings him up the stairs, and he says, Hey, I'm I'm a Jew from Tarsus of Cilicia. May I say something to these people? And that's where we're going to pick up. Brothers and fathers, hear my defense, which I now offer to you. And when they heard that they were addressing them in a Hebrew dialect, the Jews became even more quiet, and he said, I am a Jew born of Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of the fathers, being zealous for God, just like you think you are being today. I persecuted Christians the way, all the way to death, binding and putting both not only men, but unheard of women into prison as well. As also the high priest and the council of the elders, the Sanhedrin can testify from them, I also received letters to the brethren and started to Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished, but it happened that I was on my way approaching Damascus about noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven around me, and I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, and by the way, soon his name will be Paul, which means small, why do you persecute me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me saw the light, to be sure, but they didn't understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said, get up and go to Damascus, and there you will be told all that has been appointed for you to do. But since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by hand with those who were with me and came to Damascus. And a certain Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and well spoken of by the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing near me, he said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very time I looked up at him and he said, The God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the kingdom or see the righteous one and the utterances of his mouth. For you are witnesses for him to all men of which you have seen and heard. Now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins, calling out on his name. And it happened when I returned to Jerusalem, and I was praying in the temple, and I I fell into a trance, and I saw Jesus saying to me, make haste, get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. Boy, was 
the Lord right about that, because he was just about beaten to death here. And I said, Lord, they themselves understand that in one synagogue after another, I used to imprison these people and beat those who believed in you. I am the best one. Paul is kind of arguing with the Lord here. Don't send me out of Jerusalem. I'm the best one to talk to them, because I was and is like them. Verse 20. Or, yeah, And when the blood of witnesses of Stephen was being shed, I was standing right there approving, watching their coats for those who were slaying them. And the Lord said to me, go, this is not up for negotiation, for I will send you far away from these people and to the Gentiles. And with that, let's ask God's blessing and we'll walk through this together. Gracious Heavenly Father, Thank you for the opportunity to gather together around your word. Father, many of us spend time in your word every day. Many of us seek you in prayer and do Bible studies in all different directions. But what a, what a blessing we should cherish when we all gather around a single passage to hear your word so that we might collectively move together. Father, I confess my sins. I thank you that my salvation is secure. But I ask you to wash my feet, that my relationship with you would be right. Father, this is your church. It is not mine. These people belong to you. Glorify yourself. Glorify yourself with this church. Father, whether that is with me or without me. My prayer is that you would be glorified through the teaching of your word and the transformation that it brings our lives. Start with me. And so, Father, I pray this, and I pray this in your Son's precious and holy name. And if you're awake this morning and would like to see just a little bit of sunshine, say amen. Amen. And the hallelujah corner said, all right. try this because there's no way on earth I am increasing this font size. I just want you to know that. That is admitting defeat. How many of you have ever heard the words cruising for bruising? You need a checkup from the neck up. Have you heard that one? That's for rich people. Last time we left off, Paul was being beaten by the Jews for not following the law, as Paul's in the temple following the law. You can't win for losing. Mob justice broke out, and it was so strong that Roman soldiers poured into the outer court to stop the riot, and they grabbed Paul, and they literally have to lift him up because the crowd was in a frenzy. And on the way up, Paul says to the Roman commander in Greek, which is an educated language and gets the attention of the, of the Roman commander, he says, I beg you, let me speak to them. Let me give you my credentials. I am a Jew from Tarsus of, Sicily, uh, of Cilicia. Allow that context from last week to fill your mind. He gives them these credentials. 
The commander then gives permission to Paul to speak, and Paul directs everyone's attention to listen to him. And the same mob that tried to kill Paul, those are horrible, the same mob that tried to kill Paul now falls silent as he stands near on the stairs and they listen to him, not because they think Paul is somehow now a wonderful person, but because Paul is surrounded by hundreds of Roman soldiers. Our God is in complete control. Paul did not see this moment at the end of ministry. He simply saw this as his next ministry. And he begins to tell the very same people who were trying to kill him just moments ago. He tries to tell them about the gospel again because Paul is cruising for a bruising. One time there was a pastor. He was preaching and he noticed a former criminal sitting in the congregation that morning And he was sitting next to the very judge that had sentenced that criminal to many years in jail years ago. After the service, the judge and the pastor were walking home together. And the judge said, did you see who was sitting next to me in the service this morning? And the pastor said, yes, I did. And then the the judge said, what a miracle of grace that is. And the pastor agreed and he said, truly it is amazing grace. And then the judge stopped. He stopped walking. He said, whom are you referring to about the grace of God? And the pastor said, why, the conversion of the criminal, of course. And the judge said, I wasn't referring to the criminal. I was referring to myself. And the pastor said, what in the world are you talking about? And the judge said, you know, the burglar knew how much he needed Christ to save him from his sins. But look at me. I was taught from childhood to live as a gentleman, to keep my word, to say my prayers, and to go to church. I graduated from college and law school, and I became a judge over the laws of man. And then the judge looked at the pastor, and he said, nothing but the grace of God could have caused me to admit that I was a sinner on the same level of a criminal. It took much more grace to forgive me for all of my pride and all of my self-righteousness than that convict whom was sent to prison. This is the summary of Paul's testimony. This is the summary of Paul's testimony. Paul's not saved from a, whole, a horrible life of overt sin. And my guess is many of you here this morning were not saved out of overt, horrible sin either. Now, I want you to grab this because this is rather large. He was saved out of an ideal lifestyle. He was saved out of an ideal lifestyle. Just like many of us here in West Michigan, if you think about it. One where he was highly religious and moral. Paul thought he was zealous for God. This is Paul's testimony. And truth be told, is it not for many of us who are here today the background of our testimony as well? How many here grew up in the church knowing the name of Jesus? Anyone at all? If you live in West Michigan, it's highly likely. Growing up in West Michigan, we can confuse our religious culture and our moral ethos, our moral ethics of our community as evidence of salvation that we very likely may not have. The truth of the matter is, just for many of us who were saved out of such a moral climate, many more remain deceivingly lost in such a Christian culture. 
certain of a salvation they may not have at all. This is the testimony of Paul that he will share, by the way, to a highly religious group who thought they were right with God because of how they were raised, the community that they belonged to, and the rules and the regulations that they were following. They confuse culture for redemption. They, they confuse following a system for righteousness. And in looking at this testimony, it will teach us, first of all, that we are a lot like Paul, but it will also teach us how to share our testimony in a highly religious, moral culture. And at the same time, if we're fortunate, evaluate our own salvation at the same time. Now, the first thing I want you to grab in the first five verses is the first thing Paul says is he says this, I am a Jew brought up in this city. Now, this is important to understand. Even though he was brought up in Tarshish of Cilicia, where he was born, he, he spent most of his time in Jerusalem, which, by the way, made him, if you will, a first-class Jew, a Hebrew Jew, if you will, more than a Dispora Jew or a Hellenistic Jew that were kind of considered like a second-class Jewish person. He had all the right credentials, not only in his ethnic pedigree, but he also he went to the right schools. And not only did he go to the right schools, but he was one of the primary students of, of the greatest teacher that they had. He went to the right schools, and he was a student of Gamaliel. Now, he is one of the most respected rabbis and Pharisees in the Sanhedrin at this time in the city of Jerusalem. Because of these things, Paul once believed that because he had the right pedigree and he grew up under the law and he was uh, under this, this great teacher, he thought he was zealous for God. And he says, just like you think you are zealous for God today. So zealous that once where you were standing, persecuting me and beating me, I was standing in your place doing what you are doing to me right now. In fact, all of the council and the elders can testify. In fact, I was so elite and I was so much like you that I was actually given permission with letters to leave here and head to Damascus and, and persecute these Christians and drag them back in Jerusalem and put them in prison and punish them. You see that in the purple there. Not only was I like you, but I was like the upper echelon of who you are. And I did so to protect what I thought was our faith and our sacred traditions. If I will allow me, I want to attempt to contemporize this today. Now, I know this is not one for one as it relates to Judaism and our lives today, but I believe the principle that I'm about to draw out is exact. If I were to try and contemporize the, the heart behind what we see here, it would look a lot like this. I am an American raised in the Bible Belt of Grand Rapids and a lifelong member of Trinity Baptist Church. I attended Calvin University and was the personal assistant of R.C. Uh, Sproul. I personally organized two Billy Gray, Gray, Graham crusades and I was responsible for getting enough signatures on a petition to end abortion and a law in the state of Michigan. Am I not zealous for God? Now let me be clear, these are good things. These are moral things. And I don't mean to disparage them. 
But what I need us to catch here is there is a chasm of truth between being zealous for God and being zealous for the traditions we identify and are raised around God. What Paul makes clear is this. We can be zealous for God and yet be horribly mistaken. We can think that we are zealous for God and be horribly mistaken. You can be zealous for God and at the same time fighting against him. There have been a lot of divisions in the church for a lot of different reasons. And if you ask any one person on any one side, they feel like they are defending and being zealous for the things of God. While blood sheds in the aisle. Could it be that we are less zealous for God? Sometimes our zeal for God can be a, and I mean this lovingly, and I can see it in my own heart, can be a cover for pride and prejudice. So how do we know the difference? Now this may be a shallow illustration, but allow the principle to penetrate all the way into our hearts on many, many issues. When generations of churchgoers are willing to break fellowship and attack one another over a preferred discernible issue, this is not zeal for God. It is using God for the zeal of self. Paul said, I was just like you. Paul says, I was you. My friends, the first step in sharing our testimony to a highly moral and religious culture The first step to sharing our testimony of redemption, and I would encourage you to write this down, and and is this. I am just, I was just like you. I am no better, I am no worse. You and I are the same. We come from the same worlds. But step two here is to let them know how God intervened in our lives, into our highly religious, moral lives. I was just like you, and here it is, but God... But God, only God can save a soul that is saturated by morality. I listened to a preacher this week who had a wonderful head of hair. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. He said, you know, if you want to draw God's attention... You have to try to draw him in. If you want God to bless you, if you want salvation, if you want his gifts, you have to draw him in. Because God is drawn in by a sweet aroma. Why would God be drawn to you if your life smelled? If you want God to bless you, you must be attractive to him. You must draw God in with your works. My friends, let me just cut to the chase. Doctrinally, this is repugnant. We do not draw God in by our behavior and our gifts to him like he's some sort of prize lion we bait in as we hunt for treasure. We don't draw God in so that we can get some treasure. God is our treasure, amen? That's why we want to smell sweet to him. Not so that we can get some trapping around him. We do not draw God to us. God draws us to him. John chapter 6 verse 44. Look what Paul was doing when he was drawing God in. You ready for this? 
But it happened that I was on the way approaching Damascus about high noon so I could get me some Christians. A bright light suddenly flashed around me and I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Paul was on his way to destroy the bride of Christ. Paul was not considering the claims of Christ. He wasn't sitting in a Bible study as good as those things are and God can use those things. He was not rereading the Old Testament to see if maybe he misinterpreted the suffering servant in Isaiah. He wasn't reading that. He wasn't unhappy with his life, searching for another way to bring meaning. He was knocked off his horse and given the gift of salvation. Here's what I want us to see. Everything about Paul's conversion came from God. None of it stemmed from him. The cause of, 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 of our salvation and responding to God is his choice, not ours. In fact, Ephesians chapter 1, 4 through 6 makes us very crystal clear. It says this, he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, predestined us as the adoption of his son through Jesus Christ according to his will and attention long before we were ever a thought in our father's mind. Now, to be clear, our lives should be a sweet-smelling aroma. Amen? We should live a sweet-smelling sacrifice to our Lord. Our lives should be a sweet-smelling aroma to God with loving Him with all of our hearts and all of our soul and all of our mind, fulfilling the law of God. But we do not offer our sweet aroma so that we might cash in on the power of God, but rather because he is worthy of it for the great things he has already done, which is providing a way of salvation. I was talking to Pastor Jason and by extension Tracy this, this week. Now, we are blessed to have many families who have adopted, whether they're, when they were babies or whether they were foster children, we are blessed to have such a wonderful community like that. But I was, I was talking to Jason. Is Pastor Jason, are you in here this morning? Does he love the Lord? Yes, there he is, all right? <laughs> Jason and Tracy and many of you as well. But I'll talk to Jason. You know, Jason, if I had a question for you, and feel free to answer nice and loud and give me the answer I'm looking for, not the one that necessarily is correct, but the one I want, all right? How much did Isla choose in her adoption? Nothing. She didn't choose to be adopted. But they chose to adopt. Yet, they will give Isla their everything. They will give her all of their love, all of their protection, all of their provisions. She is a full child of, of Jason and Tracy with all rights and positions. Why? Is it because Isla loved you and did enough to get their attention? Of course the answer is no. Because they chose to adopt and love her first. My friends, this is our salvation. My friends, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, we ought to get on our knees and worship Him in all. For the only reason we are a child of, of God is not because we somehow saw the wisdom to love Him, but because in His sovereign elective will, He chose to love us first. Amen? Not because we earned it. How much can a dead man earn? 
And Paul says this, I thought I was zealous for God. But that all changed when I actually saw who God was through Jesus Christ. In fact, it says here, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of the Nazarene whom you are persecuting. Let me just get to the point. John Calvin said it well when he said this. It is certain that you can never achieve a clear knowledge of yourself. It is certain that you can never achieve a clear knowledge of yourself unless you first look upon Christ and then descend from your contemplation of Christ and then scrutinize and see ourselves. Paul thought he was zealous for God until he met Jesus Christ. How many people in our highly religious moral community believe they are zealous for Christ and yet do not know him? Paul thought he was being zealous because he was looking at himself. He was looking at all the trappings around God, all the law that was around him rather than God. We may not be knocked off our horse like Paul and blinded, but God's word exists to reveal Jesus Christ to us. And the more that we are in his word, the more we see Christ, the more we see ourselves, and the more we look at Christ, and the more we look at uh, ourselves, we see that we are in desperate need of him. For woe are we, unclean men and women. And the more, by the way, gratitude we will have, the more we will worship him for our salvation. Not because we like the song we're singing, but because we love what the song is about. Not because we like our job, but because who we can bring glory to. And it will produce in our lives the same two questions that it produced in Paul. And it is here that maybe we can see a difference between being zealous in a culture and being zealous for a creator. If these two questions are reverberating from our hearts, and here they are, who are you, Lord? I want to know you more. Because as Pastor Jason has taught me over the years, you cannot love what you do not know. You cannot grow in love if you don't grow in your knowledge of him. Who are you, Lord? And here it is, what shall I do? And I want to say this lovingly to a highly religious moral culture of Grand Rapids. Who if someone begins to pray in Russes, everyone just bows their head. Thankful for still the cheap prices at Russes. I don't think I've seen anyone in Russes under the age of 70 this year. However, I'm joking. I'm offended. Wow, get in line, Okay. I want to say this lovingly. To say as many in Grand Rapids, to say as many at Trinity, to say as many behind the pulpits. In our culture today, I believe in Christ, but I do not seek to know him more or live for him more is nonsense. You don't know him. You don't know him if you don't want to know him more and you don't want to live for him more. You don't know him. God has not saved us to simply keep us out of hell. Amen, church? 
Jesus is not hell insurance. It's part of the policy that we're signing on, but that's not what it's about. He has saved us to be sanctified and conformed into his image and life of his son right now, starting now. If you have no interest in Jesus, it is possibly because you are religious and not redeemed. I love this. I don't know where it came from. It came from my head, but I'm sure I read it somewhere. When Jesus takes residency in your life, he's not looking for a place to say, stay. He is looking for a place to renovate. Do you look radically different? Believers, every morning when you wake up, you should pray two things. It doesn't take long. How many here would join me in saying, I stink at prayer, my personal prayer life. I stink at that. I'm raising my hand. I'm not just being a general example. I'm like, me too. Real quick, when you wake up in the morning and when you go to bed at night, it's the quickest prayer. Who are you? And what do you want me to do? I want to know you more today. And I want to serve you more today. Reveal yourself and your will to me, Lord. I want you to know you more and I want to bring you more glory. Now, Paul will end his testimony with a third part. So for review, what we have here when we give our testimony is first we say, I was just like you. And here it is, but God... Intervened my highly moral religious life. And we're going to move into number three. My life has radically changed. My life has radically changed. We see that in verses 15 through 21. Now, I want you to notice something here. All right? Paul is told that he will be a witness to the nations. And the first step to being a witness to the nations is to publicly be baptized. Huh! Huh! Write that down. Huh! I don't know how to spell it. I don't know how to spell. Where'd that come from? The hallelujah corner? They're pointing at each other. Liar. Moral failures. No, I'm just teasing. Because whenever you agree with someone, disagree with someone, that's moral failure. Hallelujah. But where we are in my notes, I don't know. Oh, we're at the top of page four. We only have eight more pages. Here we go. I'm, oh, I won't be long. The first step to being a witness is to publicly be baptized after his conversion. Grand Rapids, Trinity, religious, moral culture, Russes. I want to say something to you. I want us to hear this clearly. If public baptism is the first step to being a witness and confessing Christ, what could possibly delay such, do- such obedience for someone who claims Christ? What, what could we possibly say to not doing that? I want you to hear this clearly, and I want to be gentle when I say this, because what I'm about to say will irritate you. My email is jory at tbcgr.com. Okay? That's, it's just a backdoor to my email. So that's, that's where you want to go. But I want to say this gently, but it's true. 
And I would rather tell you the truth and you be upset at me and be able to trust me than to tell you what you want to hear and not. The idea of an unbaptized believer in the early church would have been crazy and foreign to the faith. The idea of an unbaptized believer to someone who says I've placed my faith in Christ because he gave me the gift of faith, the gift of repentance, would have been absolutely and completely foreign to Christianity. Hence the words, why would you ever delay? Why would you ever delay Jesus is abundantly clear in his great commission in Matthew chapter 18. Paul is abundantly clear in Acts chapter 2 and on and on and on and on it goes. The idea that one can call themselves a follower of Christ while delaying or not being baptized is a new and unbiblical and unwanted trend in the Bible-believing church today. It simply didn't exist It is a trend that is not rooted in the worship of Christ or his teaching, but rather self. It is a trend that is born out of ignorance or worse, willful apathy. In the words of the Bible, why would you delay? Be baptized and start your public witness for Christ. Now, I want to move forward, but I still want to have some exegetical integrity here at the same time. It says this, be baptized and wash away your sins by calling on the name of Jesus Christ. To have some exegetical integrity, I want you to know that we will be unpacking this tonight when we dig deeper into this text. Because every text we touch has too much in it for an hour and a half study this morning. We'll study that part out tonight. But as a summary, Paul is not teaching that baptism is a part of salvation, but as a writing style, closely associates the act of baptism with what it symbolizes. Now, we'll talk about this more in the evening. But what I want to do is move to the call of to be Jesus' witnesses. And he said to me, go, and I will send you away to the Gentiles. I want you to notice something here. I want you to notice something here. Paul went from being a zealous Hebrew Jew, not a Dispora Jew, not a Hellenistic Jew, a Hebrew Jew who grew up in Jerusalem, hating Christ, persecuting and trying to destroy the church, to being a follower of Christ, starting churches, and reaching out to his worst enemies, the Gentiles. If you are looking to, I just want to give a practical application here that's not in my notes. Notice the radical change in his heart there. My friends, if you couldn't wait to get away from church, seek to find ways not to be in church, don't pray, don't read your Bible, yet go through just some kind of moral code of life, calling it Christianity, and you've come to a but God point in your life, and you 
and you don't hunger for his bride, love his bride, want to be in fellowship with his bride, can't wait to be there and be under his word, I want to tell you something. There's quite possibly nothing's changed. I want you to notice something here. Here's what we must see. There it is. Paul's life was radically changed when God called him. Paul's life is radically and progressively changed, progressive sanctification. He went from hating Christ and the church, and maybe for us it's tolerating, right? To loving and planting and serving and sharing Jesus Christ. May I ask you and I a simple question? Has your life been radically changed in your highly religious culture? This can be sometimes hard to evaluate when you are raised in cultural Christianity. The best way to examine this is has your value system and the desires of your heart radically changed towards Jesus Christ? Has Jesus transitioned from being a fixture in your life to becoming a reason you live? True zeal for God will produce a a heart that cries, Who are you, Lord, and what do you want me to do? I want to know you more, and I I want to, to live my life for you. For anything else is not zeal for God. It's zeal for the things around God. My friends... You cannot tell someone about true salvation if your hearts and your desires and your passions have not radically changed. Here is the question. Has God radically changed your life? Has Christ become something you were always raised with to, to something you can't breathe without? Has your values changed? Your desires changed? Your, your, your church and your thoughts? Because here's the truth. If your life is not radically changed, grab this. If your life has not radically changed since your, you, you came to Christ in a highly religious culture, if your life has not radically changed, then there's a high probability that there was never a but God. And if there is never a moment where God intervened and radically changed our lives, then here's the truth of the matter. Spiritually speaking, we still remain just like the lost. Just religious. My friends, your testimony of the gospel is spoken with your life far before you ever utter any words. I want to close with a story that happened to me last week, two weeks ago, a week ago. I met with a person who was going to be dying soon. I was called in and I sat next to him in a care center and we held hands. Knowing he was not physically able to have long conversations, I just began to read the book of John to him. In the beginning was the word And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Came not to to condemn, but to save. And we began to read the book of John. 
And as I read the book of John to him holding his hand, he finally cried out, Enough! Brad, I can't listen to this anymore. It's too much. And I said, my friend, have you ever placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you repented of your sins and called out for his forgiveness and received his salvation and made him Lord in your life? And through tears, the severely dehydrated man said, never. And I said, would you like me to lead you in prayer for salvation? Would you like to have your sins forgiven? And he said, Brett, I don't think you understand. He says, I am an evil man. I have done horrible things. Things I can't even talk about. You are a pastor who is raised in a Christian home going to church. I have lived a life of evil, you a life of good. With tears I leaned forward and I spoke to him. I said, I am no different than you. In fact, my situation is far worse than yours. For I was a sinner who thought I was saved. I was a sinner who thought I was saved. You are a sinner who knows you are evil. Your path to salvation is far more clear than mine ever was. If God can show a a moral lost man like me his need for salvation, how much more can you see your need to receive it? You are not nearly deceived as I am. So we held hands and we prayed together for God's salvation. He confessed Jesus Christ as son, God's son. He repented of his sin and asked for forgiveness and called on the name of the Lord for salvation and said, you are my Lord. That, was, that is, he is no less the thief on the cross. And when he got done, he said, Brett, am I going to die? And I said, yes, you are. He said, am I going to die soon? I said, yes, you are. He said, well, I die before you. I said, I don't know. You might outlive me. But here's the difference for both of us now. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus My friends, I know what I'm about to say is theologically debatable. So I ask that you hear my intent rather than parse my words. It took far more grace to save this moral man than it took to redeem an evil one on his deathbed. To God be the glory. Give your testimony of salvation. Let him know I was just like you, but God. I was just like you, but God. And my life has never been the same. It has radically changed. But understand this, church. Your testimony is not the gospel. Your testimony is not the gospel. Your testimony is how you receive the gospel. Make sure you include the gospel, who Jesus is, how his life and his death and his resurrection can be applied to our lives for salvation. 
And if you have not done this, moral person, if you have not done this, evil one, come shake my hand this morning and say, I want to know the gospel. And I will drop everything to share that with you. I invite you to come back tonight to learn more, to say, Lord, who are you? And what do you want me to do today? We will pack more, so much more, out of this text because it simply can't be exhausted. For only in knowing him more can we see ourselves more clearly. In a moment, we're going to sing... Amazing grace, my chains are gone. And I don't want you to think about your moral life. I don't want you to think about just your failures or your scars. I want you to think of who he is, the mire from which you reside, and how salvation is all him. It's all him. Gracious Heavenly Father, May our lives be a resounding example of who we once were, but God, I am radically changed. And Father, if there's someone in here who is not radically changed from who they were in their moral life before you, chase them. Father, I ask in love, make them miserable. Until they only find pleasure knowing you. We love you, Lord. Glorify yourself. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.